Hi, this is John Deke with 25 years of the Very Young Composers program of the New York Philharmonic. We're hearing a bit of Elijah Valongo's composition, Lord of the Strawberries. This is scene 10, Unexpected Revelations at the University of Illinois. After such an exciting year in Italy, I was invited by the Santa Cecilia Conservatory to continue through the summer as a performer and teaching assistant. And the Fulbright Commission, to which I was so grateful, and to whom I had produced glowing reports of my activities, they offered me to apply for a second year in Rome. I was tempted, of course. But for some reason, I just had to get back to the U.S., I couldn't even articulate why. I had applied a few months before for the faculty position at the University of Washington in Seattle and thought I had a good chance for the job. Ah, Seattle, right at the foot of one of the greatest mountain ranges in the U.S. I imagined climbing every moment I could and uh, teaching when I had to. Hmm, wait a minute. This doesn't sound right. Later on, I realized this job, for me, would have been too similar to the situation at Interlaken. My path lay elsewhere, though I didn't really know where. But here I was, married, already in debt, without a job or income. I had heard great things about the contemporary music excitement at the University of Illinois. Several of my idols were there, John Cage, Harry Parts, Sal Martirano, and an exciting progressive atmosphere in general. It wasn't New York, but it was still where the creative action was, and that's where I wanted to be. So I applied for a teaching assistantship there, which at least would have provided us some survival income. I didn't hear, and I didn't hear, and by this time I was back in the U.S. without a home or a job. And finally, I did hear. The position was already taken. I was crestfallen. Still, the place intrigued me, and I did apply for a partial scholarship for graduate study, and I took out a loan which allowed us to rent a small apartment in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. On our first day of arrival, in fact, things began to click. I was told by the administration that the candidate for the assistantship position had failed to show up. Was I still interested? You bet I was. Could we live on $2,000 a year? Well, we were already in debt, but I got some part-time jobs. I worked as the orchestra librarian once more, and also that led to some maintenance work. Carol worked in the school's library and continued to complete her bachelor's degree. We considered ourselves lucky. (laughs) But the true blessings of that revelatory year were to come, and two of them would not only profoundly change my life, but prepare me for conceiving of the very young composers, although I didn't know at the time. Across the street from our apartment were two guys who would prove to be long-lasting friends, Mike Udow and Bob Rosen. Now, Mike had actually been a student at the Interlochen Arts Academy when I was there, and I knew him already. He would be studying percussion and composition at the University of Illinois. Mike's roommate was Bob Rosen, also a percussionist. 
I remember one evening trying to convince Mike to come with me on my crazy idea of making a winter ascent of Mount Washington in New Hampshire in the White Mountains, at that time still an unusual accomplishment. I was at the point of convincing Mike when he declined. But from the other side of the room, Bob, who'd been listening, meekly cleared his throat and, I swear, raised his hand. John, what about me? Could I come with you? (laughs) From that moment on, Rosen, as I called him, would not only become my dear friend and trusty climbing partner for decades, but also one of the most resourceful and enthusiastic proponents of the very young composer philosophy to this day. And P.S., we did have a wonderful, wacky adventure doing that mountain climb of Mount Washington. But I had... But again, I get ahead of myself. Mike also introduced me to Jack McKenzie, who ran the New Music Ensemble, and to many others, including Jim Fulkerson and Thomas Howell. I studied bass with Professor Ed Krolik and composition with Charles Hamm and others. One of my idols was Harry Parch, who had completely created his own style of new music, which fascinated me. Mr. Parch had just left the university there, but still there was his huge legacy, which I devoured. I regarded Harry Parch as getting his inspiration from the people, the things, the 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 everyday stuff of America. Professor Ham also had a wonderfully open and creative way of regarding composition. Jim Fulkerson, a composer trombonist, had a big effect on me as well. However, the main and decisive influence on me compositionally was John Cage himself. Although I never studied with him officially, I attended some of his seminars, performed his music, got his supportive comments, and read just about everything he ever wrote. His philosophy I found refreshingly liberating and conducive to getting to the basics of how art can change our lives. Now, one of his most beautiful ideas was All Sound is Music. The story of my revelation with him I've retold many times. It was this. One night, Cage and many of us were attending a performance of his Atlas Eclipticalis in the old Smith Hall. Excellent acoustics, by the way. I was sitting only a few seats away from Cage. There they were, a number of musicians on stage performing scores which John had arranged using actual star atlases for notes overlaid with staff lines. The music was delicate, ethereal, suspended. Now, Smith Hall was not acoustically sealed from the practice rooms, and Clarence, the old guard, would routinely go around and chase us out of our rooms before any concert. However, this time, a pianist had evaded Clarence and had begun to continue practicing. Suddenly, during the quietest moment of Cage's atlas, this pianist began banging out the list piano concerto number one. Pandemonium ensued. The graduate students around us jumped out of their seats, rushing up to lynch the offending pianist. The seats around us had emptied. Only Cage was left. I looked over at him. And surprisingly, he was smiling raptly, eyes closed, clearly listening to the chance juxtaposition of his ethereal music 
with that of the pompous virtuosity of Franz Liszt, that wonderful acceptance of the contradictions of life struck me immediately and has remained to me to this day. I saw my path to composition open before me, although I still didn't know what direction it would take. I was practicing very hard until late at night, using what was then a new technology, the tape recorder. I would take myself practicing, then listen to the reel-to-reel tape recorder, and was able to correct many mistakes I would have missed otherwise. I gave a recital in Smith Hall using two cello transcriptions, such as the Schubert Arpeggione and the Bach cello suites, as well as contemporary music that I really believed in. I had been reaffirming my commitment to aiming for the symphony orchestra and felt ready to start taking auditions. I thought I'd begin by playing in a regional orchestra, working my way up to one of the big five gradually. But about in February, a notice in the trade magazine, I was still a loyal union member of Local 802, there was an announcement of an opening in none other than the New York Philharmonic. Hmm. Well, I didn't know about that. It would be a good experience, I suppose, going through such a rigorous audition just to see. So I scraped together the money to buy a plane ticket to New York to take a chance. What did I have to lose? <laughs> <laughs> 